0: Welcome to All Things Wise and Wonderful, an animal welfare podcast. My name is Jodie Gordon. Welcome to this brand new podcast about all things animal welfare and veterinary. Without further ado, the first thing I must do is introduce you to my co-host, friend and neighbour, Dr Henrietta Linnemone. Hi, Hen, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. Hi, Jodie, how are you doing?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, well, So it's taken a while to launch and we'll probably go into that as we go along. So um, for those of you that obviously have been expecting this for a couple of months now, um, we did give it a shot first of all, didn't we? And we've recorded one and then uh, for events that we'll go into a little bit later, we kind of decided it was probably best we re-record. So here we are. But um, yes, trying to get this up and running has taken a while, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, there's been a few little changes and hiccups along the way since we did the did the first one. So, um, but like you say, doing...
0: so here we are, mothering Sunday. So um, we've well, known each other now. Or when did you move in as a neighbour?
2: Best part of three years. We moved in of three yeah. years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, so I think my wife was pregnant at the time and I think you were then pregnant short after
1: moving in yeah
0: so um so yeah we both have a um my son is just turned two and your son will be two come July won't it they should have been a little bit closer together but obviously um yeah uh my son decided to pop his head out early (laughs) But here we are, yes, Mothering Sunday, and that's where we are. So I think, obviously, you and your husband are both vets, is that correct?
1: Yeah, both vets. He does the horses and I do the small animals. So although we're doing the same job, it's not quite the same job, thank goodness. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it would be difficult if we were doing exactly the same thing or working together. (laughs) That's hard. Um, Yeah, so we're both in the vetty kind of world. And, of course, you are. we've got that in common in terms of your... Animal welfare background and what you do.
0: Yes, yeah, and so um, I thought we'd start with that. Well, let's start with each other. I'll start with you. So, where did you qualify to be a vet?
1: Yeah, so I graduated from the Royal Vet College in London, in 2010, and had a blast there. Um, I did the I did the geeky six-year course so that I had a couple of extra letters under my name not that i've ever used them um (laughs) but um, i've never done anything particularly geeky with them i've um, been in practice for the whole time apart from obviously maternity having had Murray. but yeah so i've been practicing for it'll be 11 years this year which is quite frightening to think and dougal uh, or douglas should i call him well it's a sunday call him by a sunday name was uh, was actually a student when I when I qualified and and we got together there. So he's been slightly slightly less um, slightly less years under his belt, but still still very qualified in the in the horse world. So yeah. And and yourself, when did you go into What was your first animal welfare job?
0: Oh wow. Um... Well, I had the ambitions to be a vet as a teenager and never uh, quite worked hard enough. Um, There's another way of putting it, really. So um, I kind of took a different career path for a, for a while until I got, until I joined the RSPCA in, or uh, well, 2001, um, I joined the RSPCA uh, on the inspector's course and, yeah, qualified the following year and spent nearly three years in London as a uniformed inspector, going around knocking on doors in southwest London. and. Rescuing animals, and um, then I had an opportunity to join uh, the special operations unit in 2005, and pretty much.
1: Did and what that. does that
0: what does that entail? The special operations unit. So we, lots of ways of describing it. So it's basically um, it's surveillance and intelligence gathering for serious and organised animal cruelty. We were. Uh, investigating mostly around those people that deliberately cause unnecessary suffering and um, suffering to animals. So uh, animal fighting, dog fighting, badger racing, the puppy trade, the illegal puppy trade, uh, wildlife crime, including kind of trapping wild birds and uh, stuff like that. So it was quite varied. And also within that, I spent a majority of that time and a kind of a side project, really, which was looking at performing animals, the use of animals in entertainment and exhibition. The change in legislation, uh, or the major change in legislation in the UK back in 2007, was the Animal Welfare Act, which basically put an emphasis on providing for the needs of animals. And so, yeah, we kind of looked at, we wrote some guidelines for productions because uh, there's an increased. Kind of emphasis for productions to be uh, responsible for those animals to which they engage in their um, kind of programs, their films, or even their live exhibitions, um, yeah. included in that. So, trying to get some guidance for that, um, and that went on for some time. And wow, where are we now? 2019. I left the RSPCA, started oh, yeah. my own business uh, as an animal welfare consultant and at the moment I'm mostly focusing around that use of animals in entertainment exhibitions, so offering advice to productions. Um, I have a long-term ambition uh, that I'd like to see uh, some kind of regulation or certification scheme certainly within the UK with regards to using animals uh, in TV and productions and films because other than a licensing for animal trainers there's no regulation there's no direct regulation for the use of animals in entertainment or productions right now
1: so that's kind of um, crazy isn't it that you you would have thought
0: that we would have that yeah and everybody has heard of the phrase no animals were harmed in the making of this program but that is a copyrighted for the American Humane Association who've basically had a system in place since the 60s for protecting animals in film now it's a it's a complicated process it's it would be great if it worked over here i think it needs to be more complex which is why i'd like to kind of explore how that's done uh, to make sure that um, it's not just about harming those animals but providing for their needs is it a suitable environment is the animal suitable to do what that production wants it to do Um, and providing for those needs that's required by good practice and
1: um, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head isn't it it's not about was the animal harmed because you know presumably you'd you'd hope that there was no harm done but at the same time welfare doesn't mean just that does it it means making sure that they have their best care possible.
0: And the many productions I've been on you know the the question that you always get asked from the kind of cast from the producers and that. Is, oh do the animals look happy you know and it's kind of like well what does a happy animal look like uh and actually that's not the requirement the law doesn't say the animal has to be happy it's um it means yes. it has to um, have a decent environment it means that you know that it must yes. not be caused distress or stress by its um by its surroundings when it's yeah. not necessary to do so it means that you must actually see what's reasonable to improve those welfare standards. Um,
1: and, 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 and an animal that may be displaying some sort of excitement or that sort of thing, which may be deemed as happy looking, actually may be looking the complete opposite. So because you're not all trained in how to read an animal's signals, how can you say that an animal looks happy? Like you say, you need exactly.
0: To... And and the extreme the extreme version of that is, you know, many uh, of my former colleagues uh, would walk into a house and find an abused animal of one way or the other. And dogs, you know, you find an abused dog, it will wag its tail at you. Yeah. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean it's happy about the situation. It's just probably just happy to see you. So yeah. it's just it's, a communication, it's almost an appeal of please get me out of it. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can certainly. help.
0: You can help me, can't you? Yay. Uh, I'm so. actually,
1: yeah, I'm actually doing some CPD on behaviour at the moment and I've actually just read the line that a wagging tail is not necessarily a symbol of happiness. It's um, it's an Cause... alert dog with a signal, you know, so yeah. And they
0: wag, wag their tails in different ways don't they, so
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's and, you know, and dogs we probably understand better than, you know, nearly all other animals, I, I would say so and if we can't get it right with dogs, then you know, then many occasions we're getting it wrong with with other animals as well. And that sometimes the sad thing is, it's um, you know, when it looks all right on screen, everyone, nobody asks the question. Oh, it looked great on TV. Yeah, but you know, do you understand what's going on behind that camera? What's happened yeah. to that animal while it's not not being used? So because that you still need to provide for its needs. You know it doesn't understand the difference between in front of a camera and behind it so it, it will be a long process so you know sadly it'll be a long process we'd love to be able to change it overnight so but that's the one thing that I'm kind of focused on really with regards to this business that's and your that,
1: passion isn't
0: it I think so yeah well I think so it definitely is um <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly that's my drive to keep done. this business going anyway so um and sometimes I'll probably talk about it a little bit too much, but eventually enough people will listen, and hopefully we can get some change
2: definitely so. that's what we want to do we want to educate and promote healthy change, don't we
0: yes, yes, and so um talking of pets and animals let's let's go with that. Do you have any pets at the moment?
2: I currently have three, which is one of the reasons why we um had to change uh, from our original um, podcast because then we only had two um, and things changed didn't they so we have my rescue lurcher who um, was a pet who i rescued from my first job so i literally just graduated and the practice that i was working for in newcastle were the vets for a dog shelter lovely Oh yeah, Loki. He was um, a six-month-old stray and I absolutely fell for him with all of his new neuroses and um, difficult background. I fell for him and took him home in my car one Wednesday afternoon. Um, <coughs> I think I, think I might have been absolutely mad because the stress of being a new graduate vet and having a um, a slightly broken six month old Lurcher pup um was all very stressful however fast forwards um 11 years later and he is just the most easy reliable gorgeous big monster um, he's he so.
0: certainly a beauty so he's obviously the um the dog pictured in our kind of logo as people will see so um that should come up um here's the lurcher one the yeah. other one on that p- picture is is poor really so this I sh- we should dedicate this podcast to welly so when we recorded this last time welly was our lovely nearly 11 uh, year old kind of rescue lurcher he's uh, kind of got some bedlington in him but sadly within oh, two weeks of recording that podcast
3: yeah
0: um he'd gone from appearing to be a nice healthy dog to sadly having to be um, put to sleep he lost his appetite then uh, he couldn't hold anything down. We obviously took him to the vet uh, fairly quickly. Um, he didn't respond very well to medication. Um, in fact, um, within kind of five days, he was not really holding any food or water down. The medication would give him only a couple of hours relief. Scans yeah. showed that he'd got kind of a some kind of cancer that was clearly quite aggressive. It um, was affecting his liver, but they were not sure whether that was primary or secondary, but And we had to make that difficult decision. So, um, really hard. I say it was two weeks before his 11th birthday. Um, And yeah, that was, um, it was obviously quite difficult. We'd obviously done in that first proper culture reading this lovely story about what a wonderful dog he was and slightly neurotic. And we had to, we'd spent all that time living with his strange foibles and and strange behaviours. And um, yeah, it's difficult. when you kind of lose a, lose a dog and I, I hadn't actually kind of lost a pet as such since uh, since I was a kid um, because mm-hmm. I didn't really have any permanent kind of pets um, until yeah until welly we'd had a couple of rescue cats which I knew were ill at the time when we got them so you kind of expecting that they weren't going to survive too much longer oh. and most of the other animals I'd rehomed one way the other because of fostering or changes of circumstances and yeah. Um, so
1: yeah, so yeah, that's, that's
0: it, was, um, it was a little bit sudden and um, yeah, it changes, that's why we end up, that's one of the reasons why we're delayed, so that's one reason,
1: yeah. sorry. And I think that's a subject that we should go into further, Jodie, um, actually, um, grieving after the loss of your pet, because pet, I, I've always been mildly uncomfortable with the word pet, I think it's maybe a little bit demeaning. Um, because they're more than pets; they're family members, aren't they? Especially um, yeah, after years. Um, <laughs> and and suddenly, when you know you say, "Well, I lost my pet," it doesn't quite cut the mustard. I don't think actually, when you want to discuss what's what's happened. So I think that's definitely something we should talk further about and the effects of losing losing a family member that a furry family member. Should a furry
0: be. family member, yeah or any other kind of um, pets some people get very affectionate about their snakes oh. and lizards and why why not? so yeah. um, <laughs> um so yeah uh so yeah we are currently um petless in this household we we probably and it's amazing actually um you know we've we've gone through that slight guilt of the relief of of kind of not having to do some things while we've got a small toddler around and that worry about the between the two these wintry mornings that I don't have to get up and take the dog for a walk I'm not going to lie has been a bit of a relief but actually you walk into a room and I still see that he's not there and yeah yeah Yeah.
2: Um, actually nothing you know even those Yes, of course. We all have those m- mornings where it's absolutely blowing a gale outside, and you've got a toddler inside, and you think, "Oh my goodness, this is tough work." But the amount they give you back, actually, and it's yeah, not quite hard work, was it? You know,
0: no. And I think that that's um, uh, yeah. It's you. you don't realise it till they're gone, I suppose. But
2: um, the uh, empty, yeah, you? going back to the home and there being a, an empty hole there, definitely. So.
0: We shall, um, we shall, I'm sure, fill that void fairly soon. With a uh, well, it won't be a replacement. We'll never replace Willie as such, but um, right. yeah, we'll we'll fill the hole with a with another animal of some sort. I'm sure. So, but yes, that's um, going back to your your little household. Imagine. You mentioned three of them. So,
1: yes, so we have, do um, so we have a rescue cat, Lady Clem, Clementine? Um, she was a kitten that was brought into a practice that I was working at on a Sunday afternoon found on the side of the road. Tiny, tiny, tiny thing. And she was just so gorgeous that I had to take her home. Um, <laughs> so she now lives with us and she lives the life of Riley. And then we have recently, since um, doing the last podcast, got a puppy rescued. <laughs> All right. I know, I know. In the realm of me saying... You know, there's all this puppy um, puppy buying going on and things like that. But we, we have a puppy now. Now our puppy is a rescue puppy, um, and through my line of work, of course, I come across situations like that where puppies may be um, severely ill um, and need lots of care. And this was this was the case with our Yolanda, um, but we call her Yolo. She is a pug puppy of all things. And she came in um, at seven weeks old on death's door. And I said I would take her home to see if she would pick up. The lady who had bred her um, had lost a litter mate the day before and another litter mate the previous day or previous week and so she was absolutely distraught and she said that she couldn't really go through it anymore, you know, um, she was so upset to see the others pass and she was very happy to hand the puppy over and say, you know, if you can bring the puppy on and, and get it going, um, I'm happy to sign the puppy over to the RSPCA and give it a go. So. I did that and took her home and she has just made a miraculous recovery she's absolutely tiny so she's much smaller than a pug puppy should be but that does not stop her tenacious personality and given the one-on-one attention and care that she required she's just taken over our lives really she's absolutely to me. tenacious, tenacious. As,
0: as puppies do <laughs>
1: <laughs> and probably something um,
0: we'll talk about uh, a little later on this podcast is choosing yeah. choosing your animal and what what effect it has on your life. So
1: yeah, definitely. And um yeah, we I spoke to the RSPCA and said, look, she's actually turned this corner and I feel she's going to do really well. And we as a family have fallen in love with her and can you know can we rescue her? Can we rehome her? And of course the RSPCA were very very um helpful and kind and said yes, of course. So that's what we have now. We have a little tiny. Uh,
0: a little pygmy pug. <laughs> pygmy pug. Let's not start a new trend, Hen.
1: Let's no. Not start a new trend. <laughs> no. oh, yeah. it,
0: it, we'll talk a little bit as well, uh kind of later in the show about kind of that responsibility of of breeding and actually the consequences of uh, of breeding and what you're going to have to do with those puppies and your responsibility, not only is mm. the breeder but. Are you going to sell them? Are you going to give them on? i Do you have the knowledge to understand Absolutely. what it takes to breed an animal? The consequences of actually just like this, what can happen? You know, what
2: can happen. they're not all when healthy.
0: They're not always healthy.
1: They... you know. She she had a, a rotten experience, and um, I think it really upset her. And exactly like you say, it doesn't always go swimmingly that you have uh, a litter of healthy puppies, and they all. Go on to their new homes, absolutely fine. Sometimes you hit, you know, real rocky, rocky roads along the way, and she did the right thing by bringing, bringing them into the vets, obviously, which was, which was fantastic. But I think that certainly, um, education before breeding is definitely something that we need to discuss. I think.
0: Yeah, and it's such a wide subject, is it? And it's such a big thing. We'll do. Um, certainly, we've got some plans in the future to do some uh, to do a pod purely around breeding um Mm -hmm. uh, and you know what it's what it means for breeding dogs the licensing requirements the knowledge requirements actually um responsibility with regards to not like i say not only yourself as the one keeping the bitch and breeding the dogs but actually your responsibility when it comes to finding new
1: homes for those animals so yeah, and um, different types of breeds of dogs, you know, they don't, breed, they don't yeah. really do it themselves, that's the thing, not all of these dogs can physically give birth themselves and people get stuck into difficult financial situations with that sort of scenario, needing to pay for secret and, things. Yeah, and we'll,
0: things. We'll certainly look at those kind of things and we'll look at, actually, you know, there seems to be a growing trend of um, artificial, artificial insemination as well. And with that, you know that's obviously se- selective breeding, um, and yeah. it's not it's not by natural selection, is it? So um,
1: yeah, but there can be a positive to it, of course. If you're selecting, for instance, your if you're doing your hip um, and elbow um, X-rays yeah. for hip and elbow dysplasia, and then you choose dogs with good scores, then then I suppose that is selective breeding, but on a positive note, as opposed to selectively breeding for. A breed standard that may not be a healthy attribute.
0: There we go. So there's a pod coming up on that definitely yeah. um, from that point of view. And going back to our pets was obviously you talked about Loki. You got him uh, just as you qualified it. Was he your first pet after you would left home, as it were?
1: Yeah, first pet after leaving home, definitely. Um, I've had many pets growing up with my. We were very lucky. We lived in the countryside, so. We, we had dogs and cats and, and horses and things like that. So I, I was really lucky. I was always surrounded by um, animals, which I suppose is where I got my interest in becoming a vet. My mum was a doctor and I said I would never be a doctor. Um, and here
0: so you I, are, a so doctor.
1: I did exactly the same job, but just the small, just the furry <laughs>
0: Both. It's like <laughs> an expanded uh, species range, <laughs> like every other species of um man.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, we actually do the same job. There's a lot in common there, but, you know, <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm not sure that my mum rescued any people, but I do remember she did, <laughs> she did bring home a lady once who needed help, and she lived with us for um, a good few months.
0: <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs>
1: Yes, it goes in the family. It runs in the family.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I, I suspect with your current uh, bunch of three, you'll um, if you've got any bigger property, you'll end up with a whole menagerie, won't you? So
1: Well, I would like chickens. I have to say, but um, it's in our deeds, I think, Jodie, that we're not allowed poultry. Uh,
0: you have to get permission, don't you? So mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: don't, think, I don't think we can have them here. But um, one day, one day, I'll have some <laughs> chickens. I
0: wasn't I've always, to be honest, I've always wanted pigs. I love pigs.
1: Oh, gosh. Yes, but, uh, well...
0: Again, I don't think we'd be allowed them here.
1: <laughs> you know, my very first call-out when I um, did mixed animal. so I'd been graduated six months, and I'd done small animal for six months, and then I moved to a mixed animal practice in Scotland. My first night on call, I got a phone call to a lady, um, a very nice lady, but she had... Pygmy pigs. Now I say pygmy pigs in inverted commas because they were certainly not pig pigs. Um, they lived in her living room and they slept on her sofa. Wow. Um, and um, one of them had stomach ache. And I just remember thinking, I have, I have no idea what to do with pigs in the sitting room with stomach ache. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah I was it was a baptism of fire I think that's the only way to describe better than to be perfectly honest the whole thing is a baptism of fire
0: <laughs> well yeah you see all sorts don't you but um, pigs highly intelligent and I think they um uh, they probably make quite good pets I've, so I've yeah, heard yeah. anyway and they're quite trainable um, you
1: just need the space I think
0: just need the space and they're quite destructive
1: yes um, and um I think they eat you out of house and home as well yeah yeah. And I,
0: I've seen this theory as well if you let pigs run wild within five generations they'll take the form of a wild boar again so they grow all their hair back their legs get longer their bodies get more slight oh. they can adapt back to their wild traits quite quickly but um, that's, that's a theory. Bizarre. That I've read but obviously I've never seen it in practice <laughs> but we um,
1: digress Jodie
0: but we do digress yes so um, tell me
1: about your tell me about your childhood in terms of um, what, what well, my childhood
0: about? pet history so my parents got a little Jack Russell puppy about six months after I was born called Kate and so she lived with us right through my childhood I left home when I was 20 and she died a few months later so she was still with us when when i left home so yeah she was 19 and a half when she died but um, she was the most amazing dog she was kind of white with little black spots and a black patch over her left eye but yeah she we had several other jack russells along the way and that um sadly had to be rehomed or um for one reason or another because they kept running away and um, we lived on a shooting estate and the gamekeeper was never too happy about a, a jet yeah. rosser running loose around the shooting estate so but kate would never run away we didn't have a fenced garden we lived kind of really it felt like in the middle of nowhere and the neighbors were about half a mile away we were five miles from the nearest town and stuff like this so it was, you know it felt like the middle of nowhere and yeah. uh, we didn't have a fenced garden but she would never run away she would sit with the other dogs she would sit at the end of the garden waiting for them to come back again um, oh, so she was an amazing dog. Um, uh, so we had her. I'd say we had some other Jack Russells. Um, I think uh, was a Bassett Griffin von Deen. It was. Uh, yeah. So she she did run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Once they go, they really go. They, they don't have a good recall. But yeah, yeah. Um, we had lots of cats of all shapes and sizes. Typical country black cats ginger cats um my mum liked to rescue persian cats as well so ex-breeding oh,
3: wow. persians
0: um so we had some long-haired flat-faced cats and my dad had guinea pigs and a number of guinea pigs over the years uh, rabbits so yeah we had quite a menagerie we had a fish pond as well oh. so that was um i grew up in, and and they obviously growing up in the country as well we had farm animals all around us um from all sides horses were around like friends of ours kept horses all the time so and I worked
1: you wanted to be a vet is that right
0: I did want to be a vet I did some work experience at the I say the local like it was five miles away but um yeah my school holidays I used to cycle into the town early in the morning and go and join the vets and just do work with them really interesting loved it um really wanted to do it but uh do I regret it I, I like to say I don't regret anything you end up um, your pathway in life is chosen for you um you know you make the choices to do. And,
2: and you know what if you succeed in uh you know what you are trying to achieve at the moment then that's that's yeah. brilliant you know right.
0: absolutely and not i, found, even, my, I, I found, found my way to it. an animal career in the end one way or the other so
2: yeah.
0: and maybe i wouldn't have succeeded as a vet so it's kind and of you're evoking,
2: uh, you're evoking maybe a bigger change actually, as well, than, than, than being a vet. You know, you're looking at things on a bigger picture, which is actually really quite inspiring, I think. Oh, thanks, let's hope so.
0: So, <laughs> so yeah, but I, I worked quite a lot with animals in my teenage life, so just doing the vet stuff. I worked on a heavy horse farm as well for a while, so that was a really interesting wow. s- Suffolk Punches. Um,
2: gosh, you don't see many of those,
0: don't see many of those, yeah, on the rare breeds now, but they were. Um, mm-hmm beautiful really nice i can't ride a horse i mean i don't know how to ride a horse but i didn't need to with those you'd sit on them and just tell them what to do yeah and there were no reins. you'd literally sit on them and just tell them to go left or tell them to go right yeah uh, (laughs) or stop that's Uh, the way to ride a horse and they never went very quickly well (laughs) gladly they never went very quickly when they're running they're quite a a sight to see so yeah that was all good i suppose after i left home pets wise I didn't have too many, but my different careers kind of wouldn't allow me to settle too much. I think I had a couple of cats when I first moved out of home, Um, a cat called uh, Baz, who was a big, big, long-haired Persian,
3: um,
0: who was beautiful. And uh, then I got a little black and white kitten called Pickle, who was amazing. Uh, And uh, both got rehomed Um, after I changed jobs and started working in a pub or in the pub trade, so then I went mm-hmm. a few years without having an animal, because I was moving from pub to pub, and um, then when I got into the RSPCA, I rescued a couple of, uh, a couple of animals, I rescued an old cat that, yeah, she was very much a, f- um, a f- when I say flat cat, she wasn't flat as in, like a piece of paper, she was, lived in a flat, so <laughs> I lived in a flat, so it was appropriate that she was used to living in a flat, but yeah, she was quite old, and yeah, you only, she only had a couple of years left in her um, oh. A couple of rats. I've had rats a couple of times. And I know that people get the creeps of rats, don't they? And uh, oh, especially with like the scaly tail. But yeah. I think they're great. I think they're really good. Um, great. Right. They are great. So, yeah, I had a couple of female rats when I was, um, yeah, when I used to live uh, in Essex. I had a couple of female rats and they're much more active. You can kind of let them out and they go running off. Um, you can train them. You could call wow. them. I could call them back and they would come, come back to us. And then, yeah, then I got a couple of male rats later on when I was um, living in London, not so active. You let them out and they just kind of, they go around for about 10 minutes and then they just come and sit on the shoulder. They used to sit and oh. watch TV with me. Oh, nice. <laughs> so they are great, but to um, so have rats. But then, uh, yeah, when I joined the Special Operations Unit, obviously I was away a lot. Um, yeah,
1: not the right time.
0: Not the right time for any... Uh, pets and then when i met uh mary we she had a cat already um and then when she moved in we started fostering so we fostered a few dogs um Mm. a lovely german shepherd called kate uh a cane another kate Kate, yeah (laughs) um a cane of corso a big black 50 kilo dog called uh dollar she was called and quite intimidating we'd fostered her because the animal home had not been able to find her a home she kept getting returned because people were intimidated by her which I kind of think wow. you've taken a 50 kilo dog home of course it's quite intimidating <laughs> but she was so well behaved and uh, we brought her home and she was amazing but yeah if you played tug of war with her yeah like all dogs when you play tug of war that like to growl a little bit yeah. um, that's what she did so uh, I suspect that there was a little bit of that involved, that in playtime, yeah. yeah, playing time with a 50-kilo dog um,
1: well, can be I'm a bit. Well, i I grew up with Great Danes, and um, we had a puppy Great Dane uh, called Woody, and he was just, he, oh, he was my best friend when I was growing up. Absolute big dope, loved him to bits. And if he got the zoomies, he <laughs> 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 You'd have to shout through the house kind of t- to warn everybody. And you'd have to stand against the wall whilst he, <laughs> whilst he did a lap of the garden, in through the kitchen, up the stairs, over the bed, back down, another lap of the ki- um, another lap of the garden and back in. And everyone would just brace themselves <laughs> until wow. the times. <laughs>
0: <tuffled>. <laughs> yeah, some friends in the village when I grew up had a great town And I've always wanted one. You need a big yeah. house don't you? Yeah. you mess it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of room doesn't it? I mean Dollar was Dollar was, as I say a can of course at 50 kilos and yeah the Great Danes had, have a few inches on her, a good few yeah. inches I mean, on her yeah. and she took up so much space.
1: They just, you just have to realise that you don't have a sofa anymore and as soon as you realise that you don't have a sofa anymore it's fine.
0: Yeah I also remember she'd sit down at the table to eat and she'd come up and rest her chin on the table while she was sitting so in this yeah. kind of begging thing but which would obviously because there's food around would then start to swell oh. with the drool is it yeah. <laughs> I
3: remember. I a lot of drool
0: of them but but she was beautiful and then uh we end up obviously rescuing uh, welly who uh we fostered for um, from the age of 10 weeks I think we got him and then yeah by the time the case was finished and he was up for rehoming we'd had him 10 months
3: wow.
0: uh, yeah nine 10 months and we kind of felt like we couldn't relieve really him back yeah and uh, it was always a strange thing when uh, actually with the rehoming centres um, that I know they're much better now but there was a, a reluctance to foster and we were going around asking and saying, oh, you know, we'd really like to foster. Well, we don't really do it. And it's like, why not? Well, the problem with fostering is that, you know, as soon as people foster, they take the first animal home and keep it. Yeah. I used to think, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> just, just, but at least you fostered an animal. It's kind of, so now you're not fostering anything. It's kind of, and yeah. it, like fostering I think is a great idea, especially if you haven't owned an animal before. Because yeah. there's one that you can read, and we'll talk about. You can read all the literature you like and all the advice you like until you actually have one in your home and understand what it's like to yeah. have to, you know, with a dog, you know, having to exercise it at least once a day. Yeah. You know, everything that comes with it, its behavioural needs, it's, you know, um, it stresses, all of those kinds of things that go with it. Then, yeah.
1: And especially with puppies, I mean, goodness me, we're in the middle of it at the moment. And um, you know, having not had a puppy for you know the last eleven years, so suddenly thrown into puppy land again is it's tiring, um, rewarding.
0: Yeah, it,
1: it is. It.
0: <laughs> but sometimes people suddenly realise that like, actually that's not something they're prepared. You know, if you foster a yeah. if you foster an adult dog, you know, you realise how much hard work that is, and then especially so
1: when when tri-
0: <laughs> triple that i don't know times that by five when you take a puppy <laughs> yeah
1: i mean especially when people you know not on purpose but are potentially choosing animals based on their appearance without necessarily knowing the ins and out of that character of that dog you know yeah someone something like you know, Moki who is a predominantly greyhound he is a lazy so-and-so he would quite happily do nothing all day which is which is you know typical greyhound
0: isn't it they just need yeah, to run I they just need it. to run around in a circle a couple of times and that's it isn't it exactly <laughs> but do, you
1: know, do you know how many people stop me and say oh he must take some running he must take some work and um you know there's there's the wrong conception of, of of that breed of dog um, and other people think oh a spaniel wouldn't a spaniel be lovely well they take a lot of work but because you see that they're a smaller dog you think they might be easier so breed um, kind of specifics in choosing yeah. a dog for your pet is huge not basically yeah
0: and you know whilst there uh, and also remembering that there are breed traits uh, both in physicality and and obviously like things some of the things the um
1: personality,
0: personality side but also within those breeds the different personalities of a dog there are so yeah. many different personalities within a breed and there are the number of breeds and so that complex mix is that you know very much is every dog is an individual so you almost can't band them all together but nope. you can group them a little bit into understanding what those characteristics are. But they're not out to understanding them. Actually, you've got to learn how to deal with that. Yeah. You know? you know, and are you prepared to deal with it? You know, that spaniel thing. I, you know, I've, the, everyone I've known with a spaniel, they're basically uh, with a, especially with a Springer. Is basically is, is they carry shoes around all the time because that's what they do. They go and retrieve things.
1: Yeah, we had a Springer growing up, and um, yeah. you know the amount of energy that that dog has. I, I just I can't tell you. They're, you know, they're like tigger, really, aren't they? And they're absolutely gorgeous, and they can make the most amazing, amazing family pet. Uh, but not if you're not able to do the exercise. So um, yep. yeah, I think it's definitely another topic that we should cover as well—the kind of um, different breed traits,
0: different breeds and, and stuff like that. So
1: yeah, and actually, you know,
0: I mean, I used to see. Certainly, I remember my time in London the amount of border collies I used to see. Mm. London, living in flats, you have people that would yeah. go to work.
3: Okay.
0: Obviously, people would complain about the dog making a noise, or it was, you know, because of they are so frustrated. You know, those in, those, those breeds that are considered the intelligent breeds that need mm. that stimulation. And they all need stimulation, but some more than others. And I looked after a border collie, and you could take it down to the park and you could, you know, run and exercise her, and she'd loved running after a the ball and she'd do the full sheepdog thing of running in the full circle waiting as if she was herding um, whatever she wanted to herd and uh, we would come back and well, we'd both be knackered but she'd come back and she'd kind of lie down and she'd have like half an hour an hour sleep she'd be up again and she'd be up at you yeah. with a ball come on let's go do it again because you know they just want to work they just want to exercise the whole time now if you if you can't give them that stimulation all day yeah then you know that's a mental suffering to them and what happens in mental suffering for them is that can turn sometimes to aggression um yeah and all the other things so and destruction and all those kinds of things so yeah there's certainly some understanding that needs to be had there um
1: and what other topics are you thinking of um kind of covering Jodie? what do you
0: think well i mean obviously we are animal welfare and of course we'll cover veterinary as well so um it's, a, it's an endless kind of list isn't it but certainly some of the things that i'd like to speak about in the future the effects of covid and the lockdowns have had on pet ownership um, and looking at how we come out of that certainly there's plenty going on at the moment and we'll uh, we'll look at that in the next uh kind of few weeks couple of months really um as we come out of lockdown the effect that that's going to have on pets that adjustment that they had to make kind of 12 months ago with suddenly um, everybody yeah. was around seven days a week and actually that would have had some kind of effect and then suddenly if everyone starts going back to work again you're getting animals left at home yeah. um, and even it's it's not just been left at home it's actually just the change of circumstances that people they, they're not having a, so much focus on their animal as they have to go back to work as they have to as even the, Definitely. the, the and, children and, and the
1: COVID as well we can go into potentially um you know the buying of puppies the expense of puppies and also the ethics of breeding that sort of thing yeah extends there. Um, big big topics there um, um
0: we've got the big uh, race meetings coming up so we've got cheltenham coming up towards the end of the month um we'll take an opportunity to discuss horse racing we'll have a chat with your husband dougie and obviously he works a lot with um race horses um yeah. And we'll kind of dive into the the little bit of the ethics. We won't put them under too much pressure, of course, but we'll dive into some of the ethics of of horse racing and the problems that we see with regards to the number of horses that are bred and not used and what happens to them afterwards. And so that's a good subject to go into. So. I know that you watched Yeah, Yeah, I was going
1: to say, another one close to your heart would
0: be... So I know you watched um, Pooch Perfect, but we wanted to do something around the whole grooming um, and pet grooming and how important it is. And hopefully in the next um, couple of weeks, I'll be speaking to Stuart Simons, who is the grooming consultant on that show. And we will talk all things grooming, the importance of it, um, and actually... Uh, looking at the whole grooming industry um, and something that I know um, Stuart is very passionate about. So I'm going to look at it from a certainly a veterinary point of view and I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, experience of seeing some pets that needed a better groom that they were getting.
2: well it's um it's the interesting one when we have dogs that won't tolerate um being groomed but obviously they need to be groomed for welfare reasons because their coats mat or that sort of thing they're long coated dogs um and then we of course are asked asked to groom them when they're sedated and um, then we have to make very clear that we are not groomers they might not look that pretty
0: (laughs) and it goes back to that choosing the right pet and the responsibilities you have for it so yeah so um from a veterinary side are there some uh, subjects that you want to talk about as well
2: yeah i think i would really like to talk about obesity in pets it is becoming normal to see obese pets now i think and um and, and therefore um we've kind of turn a blind eye to your overweight dog or cat, because it's just accepted as that—that's what they look like now. But actually, um, you know, if we go through how to body condition score and that sort of thing on your pet, I think actually even I can say that Loki might be carrying a little bit too much weight, and, and most <laughs> most pets are carrying a little bit too much weight, um, which has obviously real health implications uh, far so, greater yeah. health
0: it's far greater health implications for animals that are overweight than it is for humans isn't it because mm-hmm. everyone says oh well i'm carrying a bit of excess weight myself so it shouldn't harm their you know it shouldn't harm the dog
2: but yeah no think... it's huge arthritis is is a huge thing and, um, and a big problem um in in all pets that are carrying too much weight Um, diabetes, that sort of thing. Um, The other thing is, for instance, grooming. I mean, they they have to groom themselves. Um, And if they're overweight, that gets very physically challenging and therefore their own welfare in how they are feeling about themselves um whether animals get depression, I, I believe that they possibly do, but it has a knock-on effect to a lot of things, doesn't it? So yep. I think obesity is a huge topic that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Um as is maybe living with your pet with arthritis. So many of us now have because of the the amazing length that pets are living, um, which is fantastic, we're seeing a lot of a lot of pets with arthritis. So it's just age-related changing, conditions. Yeah, changing and, and, and thinking about how to manage your beloved pets with arthritis. Um, I think also um, would be a good one to go through would be something like why insurance is important and um, and why a vet fees is so big. Um, as, as a vet obviously I, I get gobsmacked people every day uh, when I have them their bill and I think that where I work is very reasonably priced um, but I think that because we have an NHS people really are not aware of how much medicine and and you know kind of professional uh people do cost um yep. so that you know that's certainly something to discuss along with insurance because i tend to say my rule is if you can't afford insurance you definitely need insurance
0: <laughs> and it goes back to that when you take a pet on yeah. everything that goes with it what are the responsibilities? And, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, just the i think the very first uh, case i investigated uh, as an RPC inspector was a gentleman that like I said, this is back in two thousand and two he bought a dalmatian for mm-hmm. uh off the top of my head, I think it was like seven eight hundred pounds he paid for it. Mm-hmm. the dog was no more than four or five years old, I think, and got uh aggressive cancerous tumors growing all mm-hmm. over its head yeah. and uh and he didn't take it to the vet and mm-hmm. eventually um the smell he couldn't stand, so he locked the dog in the shed. Somebody mm-hmm. reported him, and obviously he was prosecuted. Uh, but when I interviewed him, he said, Well, I couldn't afford the vet fees. I said, You could afford to pay £750 for a dog. I said, How come you couldn't afford the vet fees? He said, Well, I, I knew they were just too expensive. And yeah. he was living less than a mile from Putney Animal Hospital.
1: Yeah. So if you couldn't afford well, it's, it, well, it, this needs is to... a really sad thing, isn't it? Because, you know, people do scrape to get. Scrape together the money to get what they feel is something that's going to bring them absolute happiness, and and most of the time, of course, they do because pets bring us happiness. So, I understand why people are willing to pay that money to to get a pet because it's such a, an amazing thing. But the understanding of how much it could potentially cost um, is is definitely something to discuss. And also, the options out there for you, if you cannot afford to pay for your pets back
2: from you
1: what are your options what can you do you're not stuck you don't have to lock your dog in the shed um you there are other options from that
0: right the most important thing is you ask for help and that's the single most important thing. The
1: rspca if you approach them they can help you and actually i've just got a new job haven't i um, well, I'm going to start my new job um, in a couple of weeks, working for the PDSA, which is a, a charity that I feel really, really strongly about doing their amazing thing for people like that, who want to do the best for you know, people who want to do the best for their, for their pets, that have got in tricky situations, who knows for what reasons, could be multiple, multitude of reasons. Um, and we should
0: we, we should we should highlight that shouldn't we shouldn't go out and get the animal if you can't afford it on the idea that oh i'll just get it treated at pdsa or the rspca yeah. don't get the animal if you can't afford it but we understand your circumstances will change as your life yeah. changes and um, um but yeah it's yeah. a case of if you end up in that scenario you can't afford it then ask for help yeah definitely um,
1: definitely i mean I, you know you know yourself you were just saying
0: with Paul Welling, yeah, the that's oh. so. The we we had him insured, and uh, I think one of the things important to talk about is obviously the different things that that insurance companies will cover and don't cover, and yeah. you must make sure you do your research properly. And we we got our fingers a little bit burnt, I guess, because uh, his treatment and his the fact that they brought him into the. The vets and he had to stay there it's all, uh, all very expensive we understood that his scans all very expensive we understood there was an excess to pay as you would with pretty much any insurance there's always an excess to pay but yeah the the small print was was also included on top of the excess 20% we had to pay for uh, because of his age even though
1: um, and you know. that's um, Loki we, we have exactly that with Loki he is 20% once they're over the age of 10 Um, 20% gets added on so these are all things we need to talk about and I think so and
0: you know you've got to make sure that I think one thing we didn't kind of understand was a little bit of well there's one thing that you know because you get so tied up at the time obviously with your sick animal that actually you're not thinking clearly when you take them into the vet other than saying oh he's insured by the insurer yeah well the insurer pays only up to a certain amount for only certain things and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, they would pay for him to be boarded at the vets, but only a certain amount, whereas the vet was charging more than that. So, actually, but the vet will just say, Oh, we'll keep him in. And of course, you're going, Yes, please do keep him in and look after him. And then you get the bill afterwards. Yeah.
2: So it's um, and the thing actually, is that we do have to
1: remember that, you know, the vet is working on the basis of what would be best for well yeah of course
0: and um, and of course and 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 i want only the best for him yeah um, yeah so and i'm not saying that they did anything wrong so don't get me wrong like that but what i'm saying is i didn't do all the checks with our insurer the insurance basically said yep yeah, of course we'll pay you know it's all covered in your insurance so
1: you, and insurance go ahead, people, you? you know they're not they're not the baddies they you know they are there to help but certainly Um, it is worth knowing whether you're buying a good insurance policy or a less good insurance policy um there are ones yeah there are ones out there that are not very good so that's definitely a good topic um and then i think another one that i'd really like to do is behavior so difficult difficult situations that you find yourself in the home i know um that certainly, think you mentioned, touched on how lockdown may have affected certain dogs and what sort of behaviour traits we're going to be seeing after that. I am certainly seeing a lot of nervous dogs coming into the practice that are about 11 months old, 12 months old. Nervous dogs, they haven't necessarily been introduced to the world on a normal level. So, um, you know, and gosh, I'm sure that we can talk about this with our toddlers. We keep, we keep thinking, they have yeah. a normal start, what's, what, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, but it's, you know, we're thinking about it with our pets as well.
0: Yeah, um, also, we shall be speaking at some point with a, uh, a fellow vet. Um, he's a forensic veterinary um, expert. And we'll be talking various things, but uh, about... Uh, non-accidental injuries in animals and the well, a
1: it's
0: a hard topic but how that's investigated identified and looking at some of those um, kind of prosecutions that he's been involved with over the years um, and looking at the wider sciences and how uh, vets can get more involved in kind of learning those kind of things about um, recognizing those kind of things because obviously you as vets, you do your training at wherever you do it. And then uh, those specialisms really generally occur after, after qualification, don't they? So, yeah. And you go into those different areas. But I think uh, it's a really interesting subject, actually. And having worked with Dr. Taylor um, in a number of things and working with vets and seeing how he works with those vets, of understanding not just uh, non-accidental injuries, but also the mechanism of suffering. Which yeah. is really interesting um, from a point of view of how you guys, you uh, as vets, would see an animal come into your practice that you may say has is emaciated, or oh. because you know, now now what? Why is it suffering? And the mechanisms of actually what's that? The simple thing is to say, well, because it hasn't had any food. But actually, that's that's just uh, that's the cause. That's not the um, kind of the reason. All those kinds of things. And I'm not going to try and explain it for him because. Okay. I'm not doing a very good job now, but it's really interesting uh, subjects we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah, Like we touched on before, we'll do a whole thing around breeding and the legalities of breeding dogs, yep. um, licensing, yep. those loopholes that people go into and stuff like that. And there's, there's lots of things. One of the things that I wanted to touch on today and mm. I know, um, was actually because we've talked and uh, we'll go back to the whole uh, YOLO issue really and that uh, lovely lady who obviously has bred YOLO and uh, the intention really of what was going to happen with those puppies and actually the whole issue of everybody buying puppies mm. or buying any pet for that matter is the whole process in which you uh, as a buyer should really go into even uh, before you buy the pet during that process of buying a pet and then what happens afterwards there's actually something there's websites are basically www.howtobuyapet.org.uk which gives lots of information about this Um, there's a poster um, which helps with some guidance um, which I we shall put up on our Facebook page for people to see as well so they can have a look at it but it's basically around that checklist so consider rehoming and I'll touch on a little thing on rehoming in a minute with an experience I've had recently, but um, consider rehoming um, because there are thousands of healthy animals out there in homing centres. And don't just go with the kind of, oh, but they're all rescues, therefore they've got problems. Actually, they're not. Some many, many, many dogs in rescue centres and cats and all of the other animals don't have any problems at all. They just require a good home and the circumstances under which they've got there. Um, is so varied that actually they are perfectly you know perfectly good um, stable animals and you buy you buy a puppy you buy a kitten it could have problems as well so actually your risk of problems is is no greater I don't think that it is than buying any other animal that you don't know the, the full background of its of its state so and actually dollar was a, was a really good example the reason we fostered her and took her home is because and actually the animal home cannot assess what that animal is going to be like in a home so even when you see a dog at an animal center that's maybe barking or whining a lot and looks unhappy it's being surrounded by other dogs it's in a kennel environment which it doesn't have the love of a family for hours or during the day or these kinds of things so its circumstances in that kennel is not perfect for it so actually you can get it home and give it a really good place it will be a it could make a wonderful uh, pet yeah and give you um so that's that do your research wow so much research we've talked about this we'll go into greater detail but speak to trusted professionals about the type of animal that you want to get what sort of dog if it's going to be a dog is suitable to your home if it's going to be a reptile
3: mm-hmm. you
0: know what do you need to do to look after a reptile We talked about guinea pigs earlier are they yeah. that easy what do you need to do and I think the biggest thing about knowledge is you as an animal keeper, certainly here in the in the UK, is you have a responsibility to provide for its needs. And that's all of them. Can you provide a suitable environment? Can you provide a suitable diet? Um, can you provide suitable company? That's with or without animals or humans um, yeah. as required. Can you basically allow it to perform its behaviours naturally? And that's a complex subject so many of the times. You talked about having chickens, you know, it's not just about sticking chickens in a coop is it is does it have shelter does it have a perch correct perching does it proper shade and all of these kinds of things
3: yeah. so
0: um and then obviously the most obvious one is can you protect it from pain injury and disease
3: yeah.
0: that goes back to can you afford veterinary fees you know can you vaccinate it um can you basically ensure that a little bit connected to its environment is it's not going to get hurt it's not going to run away and, it's not going to basically get um, get hurt or injured in any other way. So yeah.
3: uh,
0: they are the things that I think are the most responsible things. Look at banned animals. There are some types of animals in this country that is illegal to own, but are still being sold. Uh, so what is the provenance of that animal? Is it a wild animal? Is it a dangerous animal? All of those kinds of things. Um, breeders will go into that in breeding, but the whole issue of if you're going to buy a puppy or a kitten there's something called the puppy contract or the kitten checklist that you wanna take a look at. Licensed sellers, the whole issue of licensed pet shops, they have a very bad name, but if it's a reputable licensed pet shop, does it actually, it may be a better place to get one from than a completely unlicensed, unreputable kind of uh, seller. So look at the pros and cons of those. Ask about the health of the animal, not just the one you're buying, but its siblings, its parents, mm. does it have a health history around it? All of those kinds of things. Young animals, we've talked about this, about breeding. Uh, where does it come from? How old is it? Can they prove how old is it? Blah, 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 this. Microchipping, microchipping obviously is compulsory in dogs. It should be really be. compulsory in cats really, but is it microchipped? There are other animals that should be really microchipped, including tortoises, probably mm. ferrets as well, certainly horses. yeah horses come under that don't be pressurized don't be pressurized i I would always recommend that if you're going to go to a somewhere if you've got children and you want to go and buy a pet don't Don't. take the children and that sounds ridiculous but because if you've got your kids going come on we want this one we want this one i want this one you know you can feel pressured into getting it maybe it's not the right time maybe you can look maybe take away consider all of those
1: kinds of things I've always said there's no there's no such thing as going to look at a puppy or going to look at a cat or kitten. Um, certainly not. Certainly not in my experience, anyway.
0: I, I certainly think when it comes to puppies and kittens, certainly puppies is find a breeder where you can go and see the puppy before it's eight weeks old. So you so you actually get that puppy before it's weaned with its mother because then you can't be tricked into thinking that a dog is its mother if you turn up and you've got a an 8 10 12 week puppy and you get shown an adult dog and get told it's its mother how do you you know it's its mother because it's weaned by that point and that they can just be in the same property if you go to see that puppy two three four five weeks old first of all you're not able to take the animal away so you can't get (laughs) to taking it there and then and secondly You know who mother is because it's basically hasn't been weaned yet. So you can see it with its mother properly, then you get to walk away. And, you know, so those kind of things. And so much about it. Like I say, we'll put it up on the Facebook page. There's lots of information about how to buy a pet. It comes in in all forms. One thing I would say about the rehoming and going back to that research a little bit, and you're like this. uh, (laughs) So we're obviously considering filling that hole with regards to welly. And so we were considering getting a cat and I went to a rehoming center. I won't name which one it was and I won't name which organization it was. But many people out there will know that that organizations want to know a snapshot of your life to see whether you're appropriate uh, to keep an animal. So um, we were looking at a cat and we were asked questions such as, do we have a secure garden? can we do we have enough exercise time uh, enough hours in the day to exercise the animal you know and do we have any young children and
2: all of yeah. these kinds of
0: things now i understand why these organizations have put these questions and rules in place because they are trying to make sure that the animal goes to the most responsible people but most animals uh, many animals should i say and certainly cats and dogs will live you know, over 10 years, some even up to 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Most people in their 20s and 30s, especially, but even older, most people's life, their circumstances change radically in 10 years, in 20 yeah. years. So is a snapshot of somebody's life really a good gauge of whether that is the right person to be able to take that animal on in the future? Now I was never asked, do you know what you need to? provide for that animal do you know what a suitable environment is do you know what a suitable diet is all of those kinds of things i think it would be this is my appeal to those rescue organizations it would be far better if you found a system of saying if you would like to rescue a dog or a cat or a bird or whatever it is you're rescuing these are the things you need to know to provide for the needs of that animal do you understand how to provide for the needs of this animal? and therefore do you still are you still in a position to take this animal on because yes I do have a toddler of two years old and I do live next to a road I'm pretty sure most people live next to a road but 17 years as, a, as an RSPCA inspector uh, and now a career offering other people advice in regards to animal welfare and I'm being questioned yeah. about my ability I've been told, yeah, to look after a cat. So I understand why they ask those questions. Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense.
2: No, it doesn't. It doesn't.
0: um, It's
2: infuriating, isn't
0: it? Um, Now, there are many people that I know that have gone to rescue organisations and been refused an animal. So they end up going and buying a puppy, buying a kitten. And I would always say consider rehoming. But our rescue organisations, I think, have to do better to educate the people as to why, whether they're the right person to have the dog or a cat or whatever animal it is. Educate them. Don't question them. Just educate <laughs> them first. So I think that would be my appeal about getting a, another animal. Yeah, we, you know,
1: the, I see it on, um, on part of veterinary forums, forums on Facebook and things like that. And the number of times I see vets um, come on upset that they've tried to rehome a dog, um, and they've been turned down because they either have children or they're out of the house for longer than however many hours um, at a time. Um, coming back at lunchtime isn't necessarily deemed as good enough, or um, things like that. When
0: my, my brother, my brother, twenty years ago, um, was um, in the forces and he was refused um a catch from a uh, risk organization uh, because he was in the forces i mean that's a generalization apparently the theory behind it was that he might get posted well he did get posted but his wife was quite capable of looking after the animal while he was posted my brother's moved to australia since then he took the cats with him
3: yeah they've all been uh, safely
0: rehomed i think um you know it's obviously it's 20 years ago now i think they you know one survived to about 18 but it's it's to take a snapshot of somebody's life is not really the best way to do it my second we we you know, welly for a perfect example we took welly on we were living down south in a effectively a, a rented house uh, my wife worked uh mary worked at home um full-time uh, and i was obviously in a, in the special operations unit well within six months my wife had a job working in office, she was no longer at home.
3: You know, yeah.
0: In that time, we had a baby. Um, we moved twice. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but well, he came with us. And yeah. you know, yeah. part of that is we always knew that our circumstances would change. They don't ask you in the form, are your circumstances going to change in the next few years? You know, it's, it's this- Yeah. No, it's
1: infuriating, I really feel for you. And like strange. That.
0: I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I fully agree with the message of consider rehoming. Um, I really do. But um, I'm not sure that more people are taking rehomed animals than they ever have been. So therefore, the message is not getting through. Yeah. So the message needs yeah. to change.
1: With the hoops that you need to jump through, it's near impossible for, for a working family, you know, with children in, a, in an environment. And, some, and sometimes those circumstances...
0: But sometimes those circumstances won't be right but once you tell them why, can they provide for the needs they'll realize their circumstances don't work and they would need to reconsider yeah and then you go on to the reasons and you're choosing an animal's an image and you talked earlier about picking animals because a little bit about what they look like and it's a subject we'll probably pick up in the grooming Mm -hmm one because obviously that's that causes quite a lot of controversy with regards to creative grooming but when we talk Mm -hmm. to Stuart we'll talk about that whole controversial issue of grooming dogs to a certain look um, and using uh, techniques to make them look very different uh, to maybe what they might look in the home so yes there we go
1: lots of subjects to
0: talk about yeah
1: lots to talk about
0: and before we go we thought we'd just touch on some topics in the news. So yes. do you want to kick us off? I know you would seen something yeah. interesting.
1: This one's, this one's really hard actually. So um, this is off the subject of pets really, and more to do with um, transport of live animals. Um, and basically more than 850 cattle um, have been slaughtered in Spain after spending um, more than two months on a boat. It transpires that they uh, were sold in Turkey and they were worried that they had the virus blue tongue. So, can explain what's blue tongue. Well, um, you're testing me now, aren't you? <laughs> so, it's basically um, it's a it's a horrible um, disease that causes lameness and hemorrhaging, um, and so um, because it's vector born, um, it can travel quite quickly. So. You you don't want it. You do not want blowtun. So I understand why these cattle were not accepted into any country. However, the argument really here is why were 850 cattle allowed to stay on a boat for more than two months whilst people were making a decision as to what to do with them? And
0: Um, it's I mean, it does open that whole question. I did read a little bit about this. Obviously, you, you, you read far more than I have. Um, but I don't think it was only a suspicion wasn't it but once you get that suspicion it
1: wasn't wasn't confirmed Um, nobody really wanted to do anything with them or have anything to do with them um, because they were so fearful of if it was blue tongue getting Blue Tongue into their country (laughs) and who knows what the you know kind of um, circumstances were on board that ship and how they maintained the welfare of those animals on that ship it doesn't certain, hard, Yeah,
0: it? The, the cramped conditions, the cramped, docked conditions of a transport boat um, certainly are not going to be able to provide for the needs of, of those no. cattle. No,
1: um, and getting rid of the manure and all that sort of thing and keeping the place clean would have been an absolute nightmare. 25, I think, 20 odd um, did die on the ship um, and their bodies were um, thrown out to sea. It just. It just brings up the whole question of live transport doesn't it and it
0: does and I know that's certainly something that you know is a hot topic at the minute I know with the agriculture bill going through parliament uh, at this time one of the things that is being discussed is the banning of live animal exports Mm -hmm. The campaign to stop the export of live farm animals, SELFA, was actually uh, one of the main reasons that the Special Operations Unit uh, was formed in the RSPCA, and that was back in the 70s. Um, And that was, you know, I got involved in it during my career of of following live farm animal exports uh, into Europe, and, you know, the journeys in the UK may not be that long, but uh, by the time you add up You know, some animals that may have come from Scotland um, travel down to ports down in Dover. Then you're crossing the Channel. Then they're going across Europe and can end up down in the south, uh, uh, southern Italy, the Baltic states. think the length of that journey. Now, yes, there are rules in place and there are laws uh, to control that. But uh, the UK, which probably has uh, some of the strongest animal welfare regulations, but there are some other countries across Europe that also have very good animal welfare regulations, but they don't have the resources to be able to monitor all of that going on.
3: Yeah. And
0: is it really necessary? Um,
3: yeah.
0: You know, I see, uh, I know that there are some arguments with regards to the whole trade and how you deal with that and how actually, the, uh, because of the way, that where the animals are going and what they're being traded for and actually the process of, uh, of that farming yes i know that there are reasons why it it is done and people would argue that it needs to be done however does it really and i think that the story that you uh, have highlighted yeah. there is it's an extreme tragedy probably quite rare but actually what it does is show that it, it happens and make <laughs> that ha- you know and those poor animals basically have lived how many days was it on that boat well
1: i've i have i have just got here that it was from mid-december so it's from mid-december so we
0: are a hundred days at least a hundred days of living like that yeah and you know when sometimes when animals become just a commercial commodity that's dispensable to people
1: yeah
0: um you know they forget how much that actually is a sentient animal they, they they suffer greatly um
3: yeah yeah. and i
0: think that that needs to be covered there's there's a wide expanse of what welfare really means um, and welfare and farming and welfare is uh, for domestic animals uh, is varied um, and uh, that's a whole debate in itself but yeah. sometimes we have to look at our standards for which we're keeping and yeah. exporting um, farmed animals and take a look at whether that it's necessary and what can be done to improve it good story yeah. one thing awesome. i wanted to touch on was uh the hashtag cut the crop campaign yeah. there is uh, i think the rspca have reported a 600 and uh, something like a 620 percent increase in the number of complaints with regards to uh, dogs with cropped ears being done either illegally badly Um yeah. Causing huge amounts of suffering. Um, there does seem to be this uh, increased trend, and what that comes out of is usually around social media, around celebrities who have got yeah. animals with cropped ears. Uh, Ear cropping in this country has been banned um, since two thousand and seven uh, under the Animal Welfare Act. It has serves no purpose for a dog whatsoever, other than it is yeah. cosmetic. Yeah, the poor dogs lose a whole form of communication uh, a bit yeah. like tail docking we were talking earlier about um, wagging tails and that yeah. communication method they have when you dock the tail of an animal when you crop the ears of an animal
3: yeah.
0: for it would be pretty much like taping our mouth up uh, and losing so like, your ability to speak
3: um, I'm not
1: sure that many people completely understand that that's that's the thing isn't it in terms of we still get
2: asked to dock tails not that long ago i was asked and you know you're straight away asked why why not why can't you do it um so the level of understanding there i don't think is is present yep
0: and i think so the the cropping i think there are some certain breeds that are out there that uh, seem to uh, appeal um there's a things like uh, some of the bully breeds american bullies right. american xls and uh, xl bullies um and yeah there's this trend for having their ears cropped now yeah. the campaign is to stop the um to ban the import of dogs with cropped ears um because this is the excuse that too many people are making um, when they are purchasing dogs or having dogs and basically it almost perpetuates the problem and uh, by having these breeds um with cropped ears it's an yeah. image thing and the breeders who are breeding from a dog with cropped ears are saying oh well I want to do it ethically by not cropping the ears but you're in possession of a dog with cropped ears so yes. you're already perpetuating the problem yeah so what don't breed from a dog with cropped ears then, breed from a dog without cropped ears and basically yes. um, encourage that. So I fully support that. I believe, I, I've certainly signed the petition. I think uh, more than mm-hmm. 60,000 other people have already signed it. Uh, the government, I understand, are going to discuss it in Parliament. Um, certainly the discussion is taking place with MPs. So um, yeah, I hope that it gains... Um, Real momentum and real change to stop this, what is hideous practice of cropping and pinning ears, which, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, you'll kill off the breeds um, when we stop these kind of things. Because uh, I think, what is it, um, and such breeds like that, which we, and boxes, when you look at with the docktails, um, yeah. you only ever saw boxes and Dobermans pretty much with docktails before 2007. Well, you know now gladly you're only seeing dobermans and boxes with tails and so that's nice. a good thing it's so nice it's you know it's we'll go back to the imaging thing a little bit and obviously you know with your pug um you know and this breed imaging thing of breeding dogs to look a certain way and then if you're yeah. taking the breeding to look a certain way and then actually mutilating the animal to look a certain way we've really got to look at ourselves of why are we so obsessed with image um, yeah
1: yeah, absolutely, and and the use of um, dogs on slogans, you know, that's changed things hugely. Um, t-shirts, and mugs, and things like that. Lots of dogs everywhere, and most of these dogs are dogs that have been altered genetically by us. Um, well, should I say not altered genetically, but um, bred for specifically yep. um, by us. And, um, you know, we are perpetu- we're you know, perpetuating the problem there. We're, the
0: use of advertising. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And and you know, coming up, I've been working with a program that is is looking into all of those issues over why people are picking certain breeds. Why um, you know the bulldog breeds are so attractive, and um, these flat these flat face dogs that are called cute and. Um, I'm not deliberately yeah, pointing my finger. Yeah, and, see, but is he cute because he's got a flat face? That's you know, should we really be saying or oh, perpetuating those kinds of things? Uh, and and that's the problem, isn't it? I get it, yeah. people think it's yeah. cute. That's exactly why they were bred like that, because people
2: thought it was yeah. cute. To and, see at the it end like of that. the day, you know, with 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 us with Lolo, it wouldn't have mattered what she looked like. I mean the problem. Oh, right. Yeah, it and I'm not because like, like, 'cause <laughs> we've taken her on and, and I certainly would never have gone looking out for a pug you know everything within me says um you know no um but she's landed on our doorstep but um and 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 we and we absolutely adore her but yes it it is a big worry because i tell you what i listen to her snoring um at night and if we have the fire on and it's hot she does struggle a bit so um we do have to watch this space she might end up needing um surgery which is certainly something we should talk about yeah because
0: yeah it's going to it's likely to get worse as she gets older, isn't it? So yeah, breathing surgery would um
2: would potentially be something that we have to look at for
0: her. So uh, and again it's one of those things, you know, the fastest growing uh kind of breed in this country is the French bulldog, you know. And yeah. it's um so these uh something again we're talking about messaging aren't we? The messaging is not getting through that actually these are not always the best. You, you could look at that ethics of of why we're breeding dogs and is it the right thing? But yeah. our whole subject from that point of view. Um, do you have anything else in the news that you want to talk about this this time?
2: Um, I did look at puppy scamming. It's been going on for quite a while, especially since lockdown. Um, you know, we're talking about here where you, it's just more of a warning really because people are obviously going out there wanting to buy uh, new puppies. It's a warning that don't part with your cash. Um, this is people putting big deposits down on puppies that they've never seen before, then potentially driving to the place and the place doesn't exist or not even driving to the place, never hearing from the person again, um, you know, kind of um, going off the radar and they've given, you know, the best part of a thousand pounds away already to to a so-called breeder to secure a puppy. So it's just a big warning here. If you are looking at getting a puppy, don't
0: give your cash to people. Um, I, it, it fascinates me. I, I I used to believe that people couldn't actually kind of, um, would, wouldn't do that kind of thing until I started, you know, was obviously investigating unscrupulous uh, puppy sellers and some of the stuff that, and behaviours. And I was uh, involved in an investigation. And we were actually, with the police, had done a warrant on a house that was being used to sell puppies from. Uh, in manchester so they'd rented the house nobody lived there they literally used it to turn to sell the poppy from so we were there um we executed the warrant we were searching the property for evidence and uh, a gentleman turned up uh, knocked on the door and he said oh I've... and it turns out he'd driven down from scotland um to manchester to mm-hmm. pay 500 pounds uh deposit for a dog that he'd never seen he wasn't even intending to see it that day he was just coming in to pay the money in cash
1: wow.
0: to a woman he'd never met um for a dog that he was planning on picking up in a four or five weeks time yeah and that dog didn't actually even exist at that point she would have sourced that dog after he paid the money wow turned up but um yeah once we got his statement um we kind of gave him a kind of a few um kind of kind words of Maybe in the future, don't hand your money over to a complete stranger for a product. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. At the, you wouldn't go to a stranger's house to pay a five hundred pound deposit on a TV that you're not actually going to see and not actually going to collect for a few weeks' time. you might no. probably see your product before you even pay for it. So,
1: and this is the thing, isn't it? This is where, because we're talking about live animals, people believe that there is well, and there is an emotional involvement in there. So. You know they want you, to believe it don't
0: know they? they convince they themselves
1: and so you're talking about a tv there and someone will say but it's not a tv it's it's a dog how can you how can you um you know i sometimes say for instance to people you know you need to check out this puppy you want to get it vet checked before you buy it you wouldn't buy a car without it getting a service and an mot uh well you potentially not buy a car before, you know and and people are often shocked i'm not I'm not trying to say that your dog is like a car and has the same value because of course it has a higher emotional value. But that's uh, but, uh,
0: only to you as the buyer. So yeah. You have to be aware to many sellers, this doesn't apply to all sellers, by the way, this doesn't apply to all breeders, but there are many, many, many sellers out there who merely see their dog, their cat, or whatever it is they're selling as a commodity. It is part of their business to sell it. They don't have an emotional attachment to it. They are literally just trying to get you to part with your money. You see it as an emotional thing that's far greater, that's going to be this part of your life and your family for years to come.
1: They don't see the
0: puppy in the same way.
1: I'm very lucky where I work because I work in a very nice practice where the majority of people that are, are breeding... I would say are, you know, are genuine people and they, I, I agree to a certain extent um, with that, but not, like you say, not all breeders are like that. Um, I hope, otherwise my life and my work is very different. So.
0: Look, we're, we're on a, well, they're still on a guesswork, aren't they, but there's, they talk about something like 12, 12 million dogs um, mm. in the UK the moment and that is guesswork that's based on various different statistics of dog food sales yeah. and some internet research and stuff like this but there's no actual figures out there but the guess yeah. is 12 million and on top of that to, to maintain a population of 12 million you're probably talking about a million dogs per year coming into the population oh, so they've got to come, they've got to come from somewhere yep though so, um, and they're
1: not all the ones sadly
0: there's park not park enough park reputable park. Yeah, there's not enough reptile breeders out there right. to supply that trade, so we go back to all the same messaging as we did before. Yeah. So that is obviously subjects to come up. Look, yeah. it's been probably time to wrap this up, hasn't it, Henry? It's, um... <laughs> yes, we've, had good, we've had a
2: good old gas here, and um, the I think maybe the world to rights. <laughs>
0: Look, just to tell everybody, um, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. And if you've got any questions, any comments, we have a Facebook page, uh, All Things Wise and Wonderful, to search it on there. Uh, You'll see the picture of uh, Welly and uh, Loki basically speaking up into the microphone. Go onto the Facebook page, put some comments on there. Please don't be nasty, okay? Um, If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't like it, but um, please don't get personal we can be sensitive um if you want to ask us any questions you've got to email us our email is ask things wise and wonderful okay so that's all the words um ask things wise and wonderful no spaces no dots ask things wonderful, wonderful at gmail.com pop some questions uh we'll maybe uh take some time each time to answer your questions as best we yeah. can uh, and go through some of those um, But thank you very much for listening um, and we shall have another podcast coming into your feed very soon so please uh, subscribe um, from all of your or wherever you get your podcasts from and we will both speak to you very
1: soon yeah fantastic goodbye thank you very much
0: Hen and yep, goodbye you. everybody goodbye